I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. As usual, I have placed on the back of your bulletin a diagram, an outline of what I think will be my message today, and there are some blanks to be filled in, and I hope you'll fill them in and take the bulletin home with you because I want you to help me spread the word uh, this week. Our scripture lesson for today, two, two lessons really, one from Luke's gospel, chapter 6, a few verses, and then from the third chapter of the letter of James. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And then the third chapter of James, beginning with the third verse. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image and likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Words and the way we speak them, have tremendous power. I was reminded of that this week when I saw a press report about a grammar contest in London. 
and the contestants were asked to state the difference between two words that mean almost the same thing. The words were complete and finished. So the contestants were asked, what's the difference between these two? And the winning candidate, contestant, uh, was not actually a native of Great Britain. He came from Guyana and spoke English as a second language. Uh, he gave the winning answer. This is what he said. The difference between the word complete and the word finished is this. If a man marries the right woman, his life is complete. If the man marries the wrong woman, his life is finished. <laughs> and if the right woman catches him with the wrong woman, he is completely finished. <laughs> words have tremendous power. With words, we can make or break people. With words, we can glorify or curse God. With words, we can build up the church or tear it down. And therefore, it is not surprising that the Bible has a lot to say about words. You remember two of the Ten Commandments are about words. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Jesus said that just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can tell what is in the heart of a person by the words he or she uses. King Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived except for Jesus. He had a lot to say about words. He said, a wise man finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. A wise man's heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Our primary scriptural focus today is from the third letter, uh, the third chapter of the letter of James. Many experts believe that James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, and indeed, this letter of James may be the earliest written part of the New Testament, perhaps written as early as 50 A.D. And we do know that James was martyred around the year 62 A.D. Our scripture makes three important points about the words we speak. First, though the tongue is small, it wields great power. And James mentions three items that are relatively small but control things much larger than themselves. He mentions the, the tiny bit in a horse's mouth, that little piece of metal that controls and guides that huge, powerful animal. He points to the rudder on a ship really small compared to the size of the vessel, and yet that small rudder can determine the direction of the great ocean-going vessel. He points to the tiny spark that can ignite a forest fire like we saw in California in the last year. Likewise, says James, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Words have maximum power within the family because within the family there are few buffers between the members of the family. Members of the family are vulnerable to each other and therefore words carry great intensity 
And if a child during his early formative years is verbally abused by a family member, that can affect his self-esteem for the rest of his life. And indeed, to refer to a child even in jest as a dummy can do lasting damage to his self-image. Now, the reverse is also true within the family. A parent's genuine compliment to a child can make the child glow with joy. The, the, the words we speak have enormous power. And just think of the impact of words within a marriage. Gary Smalley, who has written the classic book, The Language of Love, affirms what many of us have suspected all along, that most women are more verbal than most men. Indeed, surveys have shown that the average man speaks 12,500 words a day. And the average woman speaks double that number. Now, one woman explained it this way to me. He said, we women speak more because we have to explain it two or three times to men. <laughs> one of my favorite stories has to do with a pastor who visited the home where there had been a death. The father had died. And um, the pastor asked the young son, uh, did your father have any last words? He said, no, sir. Mama was with him to the end. Husbands and wives get in millions of words in the course of a marriage, and I am sure that the cumulative impact of all those words is a key to whether the marriage is a success or failure. One day, a wife had an auto accident. It was her fault, and nobody was hurt, but the car suffered extensive damage, and right away, this wife was cringing and dreading having to tell her husband what had happened. She reached inside the glove compartment to pull out the registration and the insurance information to give to the policeman. And on top of the insurance documents was a handwritten note in a masculine scrawl, and she recognized it coming from her husband. And it said this, in case of an accident... Remember, dear, it's you I love, not the car. Let me tell you, that was a happy couple that night, <laughs> even with a damaged car. Some time ago, I was in a cemetery for a, a funeral, and I got there early, and so I had time to wander around a little bit and read the inscriptions on tombstones. And I noted that one of them, an extensive description of a wonderful wife and mother. <clears throat> and surely it was written by her husband. All these glowing things printed there on the tombstone. And I couldn't help but wonder, did he tell her those things when she was alive? Tombstone testimonials are sorry substitutes for saying positive things to people while they're alive. Husbands and wives, resolve to not allow a week to go by without saying to your spouse, one of the things I like about you is, and then fill in the blanks with some genuine compliment. One of the things I like about you is, you make me feel strong and confident. One of the things I like about you is, you ignore my mother's thoughtless comments and treat her graciously anyway or you're willing to endure a rainy afternoon in a football stadium to be with me, 
or you're a special kind of mother, or you make me laugh, or you're a spiritual leader in our home. You get the idea. One of the things I like about you, and then fill in the blanks with a genuine compliment. A marriage cannot survive on leftovers. It must be fed continually with loving words and deeds. Beyond the home, words are less potent but still are powerful. And the devil knows this, and therefore he sponsors a malicious activity far and wide, world over, called gossiping. He loves to prompt people to say things like, I understand that Judy has a drinking problem. Or, I hear that Jim is running around on Sally. Words are like fire. They can destroy reputations and relationships. Do you remember the game we used to play, people seated in a circle, and you whisper a message to the first person in the circle, and then they whisper it to the next one, and so far around the circle. And when you get to the end of the circle, the message that the last person heard bears no resemblance whatsoever to the initial message. Even words innocently spoken can be misunderstood and often are. When my wife Gloria and I lived in Myrtle Beach, it was the custom there for the Presbyterian Church, which was right across the street from the Methodist Church, for us to exchange preachers and choirs on the Sunday after Easter. So I went over and preached at the Presbyterian Church. Presbyterian pastor came over to our place and preached. And our wives remained in their respective churches and heard the guest preacher. After one of those exchanges, on the, on the next day, the Monday morning, the Presbyterian pastor's wife came into the shop where my wife, Gloria, was employed. And she saw her across the shop and she said, Gloria, I enjoyed your husband so much yesterday. And Gloria shouted back, and I enjoyed your husband too. <laughs> and yes, there was a customer in the shop. And later he approached my wife and said, uh, I heard what you ladies said, but I don't want to know any of the details. But she explained the details to him, lest there be misunderstanding. Because the devil knows the power of words, he uses them to divide people, to divide races and nations, and yes, even churches. Most politicians do not get into trouble about what they do. There's some do, but most don't. It's what they say or even tweet. I know that politicians have to criticize what their opponents do, their actions, and their policies. That's proper. That's American. How much better America would be if politicians would not attack their opponents' motives and hang ugly labels on them like liar and racist. All that does is increase hatred and further divide America. Just think of the officials in the last few months who've been fired because of something stupid they put on Facebook. Now that same indictment applies to us as church members. The devil knows he's got no antidote for the gospel message. It's too great for him to attack. So he attempts to divide the faith community by inspiring one church member to badmouth another. Though the tongue is small, it wields great power. That's the first truth I want us to see this morning. Here's the second truth. 
Our words provide an MRI of the heart and soul. You know what an MRI is. It's a medical screening procedure called magnetic resonance imaging, kind of a souped-up x-ray. Just as an MRI reveals what is in a person's body, our words reveal what is in the heart. Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. If your heart is dominated by Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, good things are going to bubble out of your mouth. Kind, gracious, encouraging words. On the other hand, if the devil has the upper hand in your heart, your words are going to have a, an angry, critical, profane, obscene tilt. Now, crafty people try to disguise that by choosing their words very carefully, but it won't work. Inevitably, words slip out that reveal the heart's true condition. Jesus pointed out that you can identify a fig tree because it produces figs. You can identify a grapevine, it produces grapes. Similarly, you can identify Christians because their words reveal a Christ-centered heart. You know, books have been written about the taping system used by Presidents Nixon and Johnson. Every word spoken in the Oval Office was taped. And of course, that led to President Nixon's downfall. Just suppose that you had a taping device like that attached to you. And for an entire day, it captured every word you spoke. And then let's suppose the next day you had to sit down and listen to every word you had spoken the day before. How would you summarize what you have heard? Would it be Christ glorifying or Christ demeaning? It depends on what's in your heart. And here's the third truth. On our own, we cannot control our tongues, but with God's help, we can. Our scripture for today says, no person can tame the tongue. In our natural condition, without Christ as the ruler of our hearts, we can no more control our words than an alcoholic can control his drinking. Indeed, until Christ is invited to be our Savior and Lord, the devil will have a field day with our tongues. As James the writer said, our tongues are set on fire by hell. Have you ever had the experience, the unpleasant experience, I know you have, of being within hearing distance of somebody who cannot complete a sentence without including a profanity or obscenity? And the person doesn't even have to be angry to do this. It's just, it's a part of him. It's as if some lower power, some powerful lower power, even a, an alien spirit is agitating within him, polluting his speech. Now, the key to changing one's speech is to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, and then the Holy Spirit sets up residence within our hearts and minds, and then the Holy Spirit runs our vocabulary through a Clorox cleanup, and then profane, obscene, discouraging, unkind words decrease. And they are replaced by words that reveal the fruits of the Spirit. You know what they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, let's be completely honest. Even after we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, it's hard to control our words. I continue to be dismayed at what can come out of my mouth after I hit a poor golf shot. And I think to myself how ridiculous that I would allow a silly game to pollute my speech. But you see, the difference is that we Christians are aware and convicted about our improper words. If Christ were not living in our hearts, we wouldn't even notice the foulness of our speech. Wouldn't it even surprise us as unusual? But because Christ lives in our hearts, there's a monitor in there who's saying, what you just said is out of character with who I am and who I want you to be. God's in the process of redeeming our words, and he's not finished with us yet. A few years ago, Pastor Jim Symbol of Brooklyn did some research on silver mining, and he discovered that when that silver ore is brought up out of the ground, there's a whole lot of work to be done on it before it's useful. First, it has to be cleansed of its impurities, and in order to do that, it has to be heated to 960 degrees Celsius. Then the impurities float away. How can that silversmith tell if that silver is pure? It's when he can see his reflection in it. How can we tell if we are growing in Christ? we can see his reflection in the words we speak. Now, we can assist our Lord in reforming our speech. And I want to challenge us this morning to ask three questions before making any important statement. First, is it true? We sure don't want to be telling lies, nor do we want to traffic in rumors. Is it true? That's the first one. Second question, if we're about to say a critical word, is it needed? Now, sometimes it is. In a family relationship, sometimes we have to say uh, a critical word, but we must ask God to help us say it in love, to make it a constructive criticism, and we must never do it in anger. If you're angry, be quiet and leave until the anger is past. We must not speak a critical word within the family when we're still angry. Now, if you're on the personnel committee of a company, you may have to speak a critical word in the hiring or the evaluation process. That's legitimate. But most of us in our daily routine, for most of us, it is rarely the case that we have to speak a critical word. And here's the third question we should ask before making any important statement. Since Jesus Christ is listening to my every word, would he want me to speak or be silent? Now, contrary to what you may have heard, silence is not always golden. Silence can be cowardly. There are times when we confront evil and it would be cowardly to keep our mouths shut 
When someone profanes God's name and it's in a group setting, there may be little we can do or say. But if we get a chance to be alone with that profane person, it can be very helpful to say, Brother, if you knew how much God loves you, you could not use his name that way. And then when we're confronted by racism, a Christian ought to speak up. Otherwise, we might, by our silence, imply that we agree with the racist. You know, it's possible for us to say to such a person, especially if we're alone, you know, every person of every race is made in the image of God. And remember, it's the content of character, not the color of skin, that really counts. All of us can say that if we've got some courage. One of the truly noble moments in the history of the United States Senate had to do with words. Uh, it was back in the 1950s, and at that time, Senator Joseph McCarthy was terrorizing the country because he was running around accusing people left and right without facts of being communist, communist sympathizers, agents of communism. And one day in the Senate, he was, he was delivering a fiery speech on this subject. And he held up a piece of paper and he said, on this piece of paper, I have the names of employees in our State Department who are communist agents. And at that moment, Senator Herbert Lehman stood up from his desk and he shouted, let me see that list. And then he started walking towards Senator McCarthy, saying again and again, let me see that list. Finally, he was right in front of McCarthy, demanding to see that list. And McCarthy would not show him the list. But that was the day when the American public began to see that McCarthy's accusations were hollow and baseless. Senator Lehman's courageous words signaled the beginning of the end of an ugly episode in our history called McCarthyism. I'm not sure that within our lifetimes we can have perfected mouths, but surely as we walk in intimate fellowship with Christ, we can aim to have disciplined mouths. And here's a wonderful prayer that I invite you to use every morning. Oh, Lord, please help me exercise quality control today over the words I speak, that they will not grieve you, but will glorify and assist you. Words and the way we use them have enormous power. Nobody in recent years, maybe in the last 100 years, has used words with such skill and power, as did the wartime prime minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill. And when Mr. Churchill was a very old man, just a year or two before he died, someone asked him, Mr. Churchill, if you could live a second lifetime, what would you want to be? And with a twinkle in his eye, Mr. Churchill said, if I could live a second lifetime, 
I would like to be Mrs. Churchill's second husband. <laughs> oh, the power of words. May the Christ who lives in our hearts be reflected in the words we speak. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.